Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. And as promised, let's get into that interview with Scott Shanley. We did it on Friday, hit on several topics around the Saints. You know, uh, the offensive coordinator search, you know, head coach interviews, all that good stuff. So here's that. Your initial reaction to the P. Carmichael news, Saints moving in a different direction, someone that you know very well being on that Super Bowl squad. Was it time, though? It, it just felt like it, I think, with everybody that there needed to be a change there. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just the nature of the business. You know, Pete is one of the greatest people I've ever been around and one of the most loyal people. He's been there since 2006, and I know he turned down a ton of jobs and a lot of job interviews because New Orleans is where he wanted to be. So from that aspect, it's sad just knowing that, that he chose to stick around as long as he did but like I said it's the nature of the business you saw it when coach Payton was there I mean coach Payton every few years turned over the staff that's just how it was and he made some of his best friends really mad at him for a couple of years I mean he moved on from Joe Bitt who was my linebackers coach those guys went all the way back to the 80s when they worked with the Philadelphia Eagles as assistant coaches so it's just part of the business and you have to do it to keep things from getting stale I truly believe that sometimes the same message over and over doesn't quite resonate the same as when you have something new and exciting. As you look at this, what is your kind of early leaning in terms of how you do replace that guy? Do you think they go with an established name? Do you think you go with an up-and-coming name? How much change do you think there's going to be? You know, What is your early read on that situation? First thing I, I think of is when you invest the type of money you invest in the quarterback, you're probably looking at an offense that's going to fit him or an offense that he's had success in the past. He's always kind of been a West Coast offensive guy. You know, even at the end of this year, once he became a little healthier and he became familiar with the offense, the timing was there. So I think he fits really well into a West Coast offense. So that'd be my first choice, sticking with, with a West Coast principled offense. But at the same time, I think the West Coast principles are in a lot of offenses. When you look at the Shanahan tree of guys and the McVay tree of guys, there's a ton of West Coast principles in that. And, and I would not be opposed to grabbing somebody from that coaching tree because when you look at that offense throughout the league, I mean, look in Houston, Bobby Slowick was part of that Shanahan tree. You look at McDaniel in Miami. There is a lot to say about that particular style of the West Coast offense and, and how much success it's had in the NFL. Scott, we got the word that the Patriots are going to be interviewing Saints linebackers coach Michael Hodges for their defensive coordinator gig under Gerard Mayo. Uh, just your thoughts on what Hodges has brought to this group. Uh, definitely a lot of high praise in this room, at least. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at just the consistency of that position group, and I think a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, yeah, DeMario Davis, but, but DeMario Davis played some of his best football when he got to New Orleans. And DeMario, the last few years, even aging, 
and where he is in his career, he, he doesn't miss a beat. And I think a lot of times people don't give the position coaches enough credit. The guys who on a day-to-day basis are handing out these tips and these sheets and bringing into the to the to the meeting room and putting down in front of guys saying, hey, this is what I found last night. Their right tackle is tipping off plays or their tight end is tipping off plays or when they get in this formation, here's what they're doing. So the position coach can really help a, a person have success. I know I, I took my game to a whole new level when I got to New Orleans and I had Joe Bitt as my linebacker's coach. He was able to reach me in a way that I hadn't had. And so I think it just speaks volumes when you look at him and Pete Warner's played some really good football in Spurs. And if Pete can stay healthy, I think Pete can still really be a really, really good four down linebacker in this league. And he can cover guys in the flat. And, and the game has become a two linebacker system yeah. anymore. But even you go to Zach Bond, Zach Bond is not an off the ball linebacker, but when he got up on the line of scrimmage and was playing in some of those pressure packages, he did really good too. So I think he's done a great job in that room. Sky, I saw you tweeting about this, and it is interesting. You know, it's is this the era of the linebacker head coach? You know, because you said Nico <laughs> Ryan's, Antonio Pierce got the job, Gerard Mayo, obviously in New England, and it, it is interesting because you look at it, it's like, oh, usually you see former quarterbacks. You know, there's certain positions that tend to gravitate toward coaching, but you know, you've seen these kind of linebackers uh, take center stage. And I don't know, is it an energy thing? I'm just curious. You know, why? What? What is it about linebackers that you think uh, kind of gravitates towards that role lately? Yeah, I, I love it. Obviously, playing linebacker, I just think at that position, it, it's a unique position because just playing the game, you have to be extremely versatile. You have to be able to take on 320-pound linemen. You have to be able to cover receivers in the slot, cover running backs. So you're constantly doing things that are out of your element based on your size or your speed. But more than that, it's about communication. At linebacker position, you're, you're constantly talking to everybody around you. You're in the middle of the defense. You're relaying coverage calls with the DBs. You're talking to the defensive linemen, getting them in the right gap. And so I think as a linebacker, just the communication part of the game comes natural. And and I really like it because you've seen for years where it's a young man's offensive game where quarterback coaches are getting jobs. And D'Amico Ryan, I think, opened a lot of people's eyes. And then Antonio did a great job in his interim role and now Mayo in New England. And, heck, I'll even go – I know he's not a linebacker, but Dan Campbell in Detroit. So I love seeing all these guys who used to be players. I just think – the way the, the current player is now, they really trust and relate to guys who, who went through the battle. Dan Campbell might not have played linebacker, but he's a linebacker at heart, I think. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. I played with Dan in Dallas, and tell you what, Dan Campbell at the time, if you would have told me, watching, we used to call him Triple H, the WWE wrestler. We, he would walk around with that bottle of water, and he would do hand cleans in the weight room. He would spit water. I, he was always had a, had a dramatic flair about him, and I never thought he'd be a head coach, but he, he is a heck of a head coach, and he's got that program rolling. You know, the Packers are on the schedule again next year, so I think it's interesting because I think the, the Jordan Love we saw in week three while he showed some flashes he made some plays obviously they won that game but I don't think this Jordan Love we're seeing now uh, looks anything like <laughs> the Jordan Love at the beginning of the season I think he was learning he was he was taking his lumps but I, I do think it's interesting like you need time as a quarterback and the Packers are as good as anyone at making sure you have plenty of time to develop before they throw you into the fire but I'm curious what you know what have you seen from him over the course of the season because it seems like you know a guy who mid-season there was a, definitely a lot of doubters in terms of maybe long-term in that role and now. But what have you seen from Jordan from that week three game to now? He's been remarkable. And the, the biggest thing is the game has slowed down to him mm. immensely. And, and every player, you know, I, I certainly remember it was probably year two or three for me. And you kind of remember when, when it starts to click, when the game actually finally slows down because it's so hectic, it's so fast. And he just, the game against the Dallas, he just looked like he was, he had Dallas's defense in slow motion. And he knew exactly where all the open windows were going to be. He made all the right reads. But honestly, getting Aaron Jones back 
really has made that offense go. Aaron Jones is an outstanding running back. He can do it all. I think having that threat and that running game helped take some pressure off of him for making all the plays as well. And he's doing it with, the, with probably the youngest wide receiver core in the NFL. So you, I give Jordan Love a, a ton of credit because he, he has – become a long way, way since, like you said, in the middle of the season where there were a lot of doubters. But everybody else around him is really elevated. They're, they're playing. They believe in him. And to me, once you believe that you have the guy at quarterback, everybody's game just goes to another level. Scott, back to a Saints question for me. Just curious, you know, looking ahead, uh, going into next season, obviously got to get the coaching, offensive coordinators, uh, and assistants all squared out. But for you, what is the biggest an area of need for this team going into next year. I know a lot of talk has been about the offensive line. Are you feeling that way as well? Yeah, I am. You know, you're asking that question, and I thought, do I want to give this boring answer? Because fans <laughs> hate when you say offensive line. Fans are like, please don't draft an offensive line or defense line. But that's where championships are won. And if you think about three or four years ago when this Saints team was really rolling, and, and I think the Saints arguably had the best offensive line in the league. You had a healthy young Ramchek and Armstead and all those guys, and you just controlled games. Every week you rolled into, it didn't matter if it was home or away, and you knew you could run the ball and you could play great defense. That's how you win 11 games, 12 games in a season. So if, if an outside Standing lineman is there early in the draft. I think it's hard to pass up because you you need that. You need to kind of replenish along that offensive line. But at the same time, I believe this team is still in a position where you can draft the best position available. You don't have to reach. You don't have to reach and fill a position because you just don't have anybody there. It's going to be interesting. I, I think the Saints need to get back to being a little more aggressive. You think back when Sean was there and there were tons of trades in the draft or there were trades in the offseason to kind of bolster positions. I think doing that and letting everybody everybody know, like Mickey said the other day, I got to let everybody know they're not you're not comfortable. Don't right. get comfortable. I think the way you do that is you make trades, you bring guys in, you make some blockbuster trades, and you shake things up. And how do you think that usually gets everybody's attention? Yeah, and this isn't even a question, but I do think it's an interesting point. Like everyone wants to talk about that 2017 draft. It's like, wow, this is a great draft. You got Alvin Kamara, you got Marshawn Lattimore. Well, another guy you got was Ryan Ramchick, and he was the final pick of the first round. You got that pick. I think it was the Jimmy Grant. No, it was the Brandon Cooks trade. And you know what? When people People look at this team and it's like, well, why isn't this team, why isn't this offense as consistent as what you saw in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020? Well, one of the biggest themes of those four years was that both of your tackles, there was never a question. Those were stud offensive tackles week in, week out. You had Teron Armstead, Ryan Ramchek. And now... You have Ryan Ramchek with a knee that is not doing him any favors. On the left side, you're talking about, who knows? Is it James Hurst? Is it Andres Pete? Is it Trevor Penning? To me, that's the biggest difference. And I think a big part in what's prevented them from finding consistency on the offensive side of the ball. There's no question. Absolutely, I agree. I think one of the things that hampers you more than anything in a draft is when you invest your top draft picks in big guys that don't work out. You know, Marcus Davenport, really good player, explosive, had the size, had all the measurables, couldn't stay healthy. But when Marcus was healthy and he played more than two or three games in a row he made plays and you know Peyton Turner's had the injury bug on him and Penning they're trying to figure out what position he can play anytime you miss on draft picks on big guys up high it's hard to find 320 330 pound guys roaming the earth with nimble feet who can do the things these guys can do and that's why it goes back to Bill Parcells always used to say it he's always going to take big talented guys early because it's harder to find those type of people so I've, I've always just been a believer if you miss early in the draft on big guys offensive linemen defensive linemen it's it's hard to cover up for those mistakes all right. Thanks again to Scott Shanley for hanging out, talking about all that good stuff. You know, I, I do think it's interesting with with all these head coaching hires and and the linebacker head coach. It seems to be kind of. I think we go in waves, right? You go in waves. You get all these. You get all these 
you know, you get you go on wage, you get all these like nerd offensive coordinator guys going in and they 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 re- revamp all these offensive systems. And then you go in waves where you get guys like like Mike Singletary and you know, and now you got Gerard Mayo and and even I, I think he's right. Like Dan Campbell is a linebacker in his soul. Whether he played he played tight end in the NFL, but he's always a he's always been that bite your kneecaps off guy. And I think, you know, D'Amico Ryan's right. I, I think that you're getting into a way of uh, like this kind of mode now where you need that, you know, especially with, with the way that social media is and there's so many different things kind of capturing people's attention. I just think having that commanding presence as a head coach is might be more important now than it was five, eight years ago when, you know, it was a lot easier to tune out a lot of the noise. I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's me, but it does seem like a trend. It does seem like a lot of these kind of I wouldn't say yay rah rah coaches, but more intense, like emotional coaches. You know, Antonio Pierce and guys like that. It does seem like they're that's resonating a little more now. Well, but at the same time, you know, the Kyle Shanahan's, the Sean McVay's are still doing they're still doing the job. They're getting the job done. So I don't know. We'll see. But I did think that was an interesting kind of point that we talked about there. It just kind of odd too. You start feeling really old when you start seeing these former players now ascending into not just even assistant coaching roles, and it's like head coaching jobs. You're like, damn, I, you know, I remember when kind of thing when he was playing, blah blah blah. So, but yeah, tons of congrats, the freaking Raiders, man. They actually did the right thing for once. <laughs> yeah, I'm disappointed in them for not doing the wrong thing. <laughs> you know, all right, <laughs> but I mean, it's about time. Right, like they should have done this with Rich Basashi a few years back, and they completely, you know, not only did they not do the right thing, they hired the worst possible coach. Um, so at least they're kind of learning from their mistakes. But uh, yeah, it, it is it is interesting, and you know, as you kind of as you kind of go into it. So yeah, and I, and I agree with that because I've in the last few years I've reached the age where when people start talking about, oh, that guy's too old, he needs to retire. They're literally the same age as me. Like I'm 33 right now, and we're talking about Cam Jordan being too old, and it's like this washed like up last, old man, right? Last year was Mark Ingram, right? And it was like, oh, he's so old. And I looked down, and I was like, oh, he's 30, 32. Okay, Wait, what? Huh? Like, oh, Cam is like a month older than me. Like that's we're we're like the same age. I think he was born in February 1990. I was born in March. Let's see. I need to double check that. Which Cam is like hanging out and like some other country right now. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. July 10th, 1989. So he's a, he's a, he's a, he's like almost a full year older than me. He's 34 now, but yeah. So he's also been uh, beaten down by the NFL. Yes, it's true. It's <laughs> true. But he's made a lot more money. <laughs> that's, that's also true. Very true. <laughs> he's worth significantly more than I am. Uh, you know, he's going on these international trips, having a good time. And he's going to be, a, I'm sure, you know, we talk about Lance Moore and Scott Shanley. And they're, you know, it's only a question of where Cam Jordan's going to be broadcasting whenever he does retire. Man, he's already <laughs> doing like a podcast with the NFL Network, so I think he's got like a job built in. Yeah, he's 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 going to be a play-by-play commentator somewhere. It's not not play-by-play color commentator somewhere. Um, it's just a question of which station. It's he, you know, and uh, when he decides to do it, it must be nice, you know, when you re- when you're like, I'm going to retire whenever, but then I'll be like this guy but hey you know you know since anyone that meets cam from the first time right off the jump you just knew he was i was excited i just remember when he got drafted his initial interview was like oh man he's gonna be a ton of fun it's been a great 
obviously run all over these years. And yeah, you just see now that, man, this guy is poised and perfect for some kind of media role and definitely looking forward to seeing what Cam does. If it's calling games, that'll be freaking awesome. Yeah, every every couple of years I'll rewatch the league and every and whenever I get to the Jordan the episode with Cam Jordan in it, I laugh because he's like it's him, it's Cam Jordan and Jordan Cameron, the tight end. And there's like a there's like a a bit where they're trying to figure out which one is which. And uh, you know, I think I can't do it. Yeah, it's funny. And he looks so different. <laughs> he's got like the flat top. <laughs> it's, it is it is very funny. I, he's I mean, also like, a montage of the, the different cam styles of hair throughout the years. It's quite impressive. So I was gonna say, like, you, I want to get like a that would be a great poster, right? Yeah. Like a, like a Saints poster of like just all the Cam Jordan headshots because they're so distinctive. Like for a while, he was like the you know he had the Fu Manchu going, and you know he was a pirate one year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway whatever gets him back to being a, a sack monster hopefully for next season sack monster yeah and uh that's a good segue you know we're going to talk about uh, a lot of these positions that you could make moves on defensive ends an interesting one to me um so let's get into it this is inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak he is steve geller subscribe thanks again to scott shanley for hanging out with us clowns uh and shooting the shit if you will. Um, we'll be right back, get through the positions of need, kind of dip our toes into the water of the draft and all the scouting that's going to happen because we're going to have to get into it. We're going to have a mock draft coming at you soon, and it's going to be wrong. Get ready. <laughs> get ready for that. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. Stick around. <laughs> 